0: okay and uh, Randy thank you for uh, uh, leading and opening our uh, worship this evening so when you buy uh, anything uh, new today uh, sort of like electronics and things like that now this this example doesn't really work very well with me because I still manage to cause a problem but you buy it and it says the phrase comes up plug and play okay just plug it in And you're away. Does everybody familiar with with that? uh, uh, And and you buy a new mobile phone or whatever it is. And when you switch it on, it knows who you are before you've even touched it. How does it do that? Uh, Perhaps a new computer or something. Even a new fridge that's got a, a display on the front of it. It says welcome to you when you walk into the kitchen. All these things are very, very clever, and it's very exciting. Now, sometimes when we come to church, uh, some pastors like to give the impression that the Christian gospel is plug and play. You just simply come in, uh, Jesus loves you, and everything's fine. That's all you need to worry about, and you discover very quickly that that is actually... First of all, it's true, yes, Jesus does love us, but we discover that there's a lot more to the gospel than simply hearing something made in that statement. And the section of scripture that was uh, read to us earlier (coughs) was um, an account which uh, many of us are are probably very, very familiar with. Indeed, it is possible that there is somebody here this evening um, who has never heard that before and so we'll explain a little bit as to what uh, is being spoken of here. Uh, But the verse that I want to uh, pick out this evening is verse 22 that Randy read to us, which is this. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? What then? This is Pilate speaking. He's the judge, and he says, what am I going to do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? What's going to happen? What shall I do with him? And of course, the answer that is given is that they said to Pilate, let him be crucified. So for a moment, I just want us to imagine the scene. Uh, Pilate and uh, the Lord Jesus are on this balcony overlooking a big crowd of people. And of course, the crowd of people that we have uh, looking on and watching what is taking place and what is happening, they are the jury. They're the ones that are calling uh, for the results that they want to take place, that they want to happen. Because when you think about it, everybody knew Jesus was innocent. Everybody did. And I think next week we're going to try and look at some of the characters and the fact that they, even the chief priests knew Jesus was innocent because they had to pay people to tell lies about him. Okay? So obviously they knew exactly what was going on. Pilate, of course, knew partly because his wife came up to him and said, yeah, guys, always listen to your wife, okay? There's, uh, there's good reason for these things. And uh, his wife comes up and says, don't I have anything to do with this man. Okay, And then he attempts to back out of it by washing his hands. And so we have that idea today that I wash my hands of this situation that's uh, taking place and going on. So everybody knew that Jesus was innocent. And, uh, and Pilate decides that uh, there it is. We're going to let the crowd decide. And so they stood on the balcony. <coughs> and um, Pilate would have raised his hand or something to that effect to bring the crowd To silence and suddenly it becomes so quiet you could hear a pin drop and he says well what do you want me to do with this man and the moment he says that they give their verdict crucify him crucify him so what I want us to do this evening is to think to ourselves for a moment that we're in the crowd what would we shout what would we say What would be our response? What would be the thing that we would call? Over a period of three years, thousands of people lived in the wake of the blessings that had come as the Lord Jesus had preached the gospel. He raised the dead and whole families benefited from this. When he healed a leper... Both families and communities were helped because no longer was this leper who was unclean. Couldn't have anybody within six feet or eight feet of him. And after the occasion of the 5,000 that had listened to Jesus speak for days, they went back home joyfully to share the teachings and whole towns, whole communities were helped and blessing was brought People were encouraged. The conversation that Jesus had with the woman of Samaria brought good news and the gospel to an entire province because the message spread so quickly. But during all of this, the uh, hostility towards Jesus continued and it grew and it got more intense. The chief priests and those that were with him leaders the Sanhedrin they kept saying how can we get rid of this man how can we silence him how can we bring his his life to an end how can we murder him how can we kill him because we have to stop him saying the things that he is doing the religious leaders were determined more than ever to find a way to silence him why because his message was not what the rulers of the people wanted to hear it affected their position in society Jesus had broken the man-made rules that they had presented, and there were many of them. When he healed someone, it was often on the Sabbath, the day that they were so concerned that you did nothing on. And Jesus, of course, had claimed to be equal with God, and that was something that they also could not cope with. Jesus also forgave the sins of the people because he was able to do that. People were following Jesus because he gave them hope. And we live in a world today where if people are prepared to be truthful and to be honest, they would say that's the one thing we don't have is hope. There's fear. And we can be afraid, but we don't have hope. And he explained that God loved them and he cared for them. And that they could come to know God. That they could be saved from their sin. And Jesus taught that they could have a relationship with God. Matthew 4 verse 23, we read about uh, Jesus and it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. Jesus preached the gospel. Have you ever noticed that before? Jesus is the gospel and he preaches the gospel. It's the gospel of peace and he goes out and he preaches it and he teaches it. And people's lives are changed. I want to say to you that jealousy is a terrible thing Um, rational people who become jealous do irrational things people commit murder over jealousy sometimes the most insignificant thing that we would consider but to that person it's become a big thing And as the chief priests and his uh, fellow members of the Jewish ruling council met and heard what was happening, they knew that they had to get rid of Jesus. And so they met and they schemed and they planned to murder the Son of God, to murder the Savior of the world. Now it's important to note, as we've said already, that everybody at that trial knew Jesus was innocent. They knew that he was a good man. And some of them knew indeed that he was the son of God. But they condemned him anyway. There was no point in our Lord speaking in his trial because nobody would have listened. Of course the scriptures also tell us and remind us Isaiah 53 verse 7 for example that Jesus was led as a lamb is silent to the slaughter. Now, the Bible teaches us, not my words, but this is God's word. The Bible teaches us that one day every person will be judged by an all-loving and a just God. The Bible teaches us, contrary to the way that some people speak in churches today, the Bible teaches us that we cannot escape that judgment There's no slipping around the back door, so to speak, trying to get away from having to face that judgment. And so this means that all of us will be put on trial concerning our verdict on Jesus. What did we say about Jesus? Did we turn our back to Jesus? Did we shout out when we're asked for the verdict Crucify him. Crucify him. Because, friends, that's the reality. And Jesus comes to judge us on how we judged him. This means that it is vitally important that we make the correct evaluation of Jesus Christ. That we know who he is. And that we understand clearly all that he has done for us. And of course that we act accordingly toward him. That we listen to him. And we hear him speaking to us and that we receive from him the precious gift of life that he gives to all those who call to him for salvation now we 're going to read some verses a little bit uh, uh, in fact, we touched on them this morning, but a bit further so we 're going to turn to uh, to um, acts uh, so again, if you have a Bible handy, please uh, do so we 'll turn to Acts chapter two again, and uh, this time we will read <coughs> um, verses twenty one to twenty four and then thirty seven to forty one Peter is preaching here, he's preaching a sermon to a crowd of people who have gathered in Jerusalem, and as we saw this morning, this uh, crowd of people are from all over the known world at that time. They had all sorts of strange names as to where they were from, Uh, they would have spoken uh, different languages perhaps, and so on. And of course, this is shortly after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, probably on uh, uh, the early hours of, uh, in fact, we know the time, 9 a.m., On the morning of the 25th of May in the year AD 33. Uh, uh, The crowd uh, is stood there and Peter is preaching to them. About 3,000 in total, we're told. And many of them were from Judea and Galilee and also from all over the known world. And friends contained in Peter's message are all the steps, all the milestones, if you like, that the people needed to follow. Indeed, that you and I need to follow, that you and I need to understand if we're on the journey to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if we come to true faith, genuine faith in him. Peter explains the steps that we need to follow, and we're going to look at those carefully. So we begin in Acts 2 verse 21, <clears throat> uh, 21 to 24. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then we go forward a little bit further into verse 37, and we read, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Do you hear the urgency and the call that they have? And then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation. Then those, wait for it, who gladly received this word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And we thank God for his gracious word and what words they are as well. Peter's message is beautifully put together. And of course, it would be. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's at work here. They've just gone through uh, that period of, uh, of Pentecost just a short while before. And here is Peter and he's standing up and he's preaching. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. And the crowd are able to hear what he has to say. And we see that people responded as he explains to the people, to the people in his congregation. And of course this includes us. Because... It's also our sin that held Jesus on the cross. It wasn't just their sin. It's your sin. It's my sin that held our Lord and Savior on that cross. Peter confronts the people, first of all, with the truth. And he confronts the people with the truth. The truth about Jesus. He explains it clearly. And then he goes on to talk about the truth about themselves. Peter explained that Jesus was more than just a man. And this is so important because there are people who today will say that Jesus was only a man. Jesus was a good man, but he was only a man. Uh, Peter goes on to explain that he was the Son of God, he was the promised Messiah. We read in verse 22 Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him. In your midst. In other words, you saw Jesus. You saw what he did. You heard what he said. You saw the people that were healed of diseases. You saw the people whose lives were transformed. People whose lives were hopeless. And you saw miracles take place. Because remember, as we said this morning, the church of Jesus Christ is not natural. It's supernatural. And to be... In the church of Jesus Christ, we have to see a miracle take place in our heart. And this is what Peter is talking about here. Peter goes on and then he talks about the death of Jesus and explains that this was no accident. Verse 23, he says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Peter is simply confronting them with the truth that they knew, that all of them knew. And he's confronting you and I today with the truth. The truth that we are able to see. The same truth. And then he talks about the resurrection of Jesus, verse 24. He says, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Jesus conquered death. And Jesus is alive today. And then in verse 33, Peter talks about the exaltation of Jesus. Exalted to the right hand of God. Friends, the time is coming when Jesus will rule the world in peace and righteousness. And everyone will know that he is Lord. So Peter tells this great crowd the truth. And on Thursday evening, we're going to talk about the fact of what does the world think is true today? Well, the reality is, is that everything's true there's nothing that isn't true if you believe it. Whatever you think is right, well, that's the truth for you. Whether it's true for someone else, well, that's another matter. So Peter tells this great crowd the truth about Jesus, and then he moves on to talk about the truth about themselves. And, and, and don't you get uneasy when people start to tell you the truth about you? the things in your heart and in your life. The truth hurts, they say, and it does. And my wife tells me the truth about my situation. It hurts. Sometimes. She's very gracious. But it does. And Peter has to talk to them about the truth about themselves. And as he's talking... We know, we know he's talking to us as well. And we read in verse 23, he says, You crucified Jesus and put him to death. You are guilty. What he's saying this is, you're sinners. Because you did this. You were asked for the verdict. And when Pilate said to you... What do you want me to do with this man? There's nothing wrong with him. He's innocent. And they shouted out, crucify him. Crucify him because they had made that decision, they were guilty, they were sinners. And we're part of a human race born into sin, and there's no escaping it. You can't keep your hands clean. You try so hard, but you pick up the dirt and the filth of the world. You can't keep your feet clean because you go places that you shouldn't do, and you wade into situations that you shouldn't do, and you suddenly discover that sin has crept in. And as you try and walk forward, it's like walking through treacle, and you struggle to pick your feet up. Because of everything that you've allowed to come into your heart and into your life. You're a born sinner. And God's verdict on us is clear. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who stands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. And Paul adds this little line at the end. Not even one, just in case there was somebody who thought. That they were good enough that their feet were clean their hands were clean and Paul says no 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 there's not even one Romans three ten to 12 and then Peter explains the truth about what we need to do and he says verse 38 repent 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 and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit Jesus himself taught this and said, unless you repent, you too will all perish, Luke 13, 3. And Paul declared, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Notice the word command. That's the commandment that's given to us, to repent. None of us can escape that. Why? Paul goes on and says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. Acts 17 verse 13. Peter goes on and explains that we must call on the Lord for salvation. Verse 21 and he's quoting from Joel's prophecy there back in the uh, in the Old Testament scriptures and it's so important for this congregation that he had in front of him it's important for us too and and verse 21 he quotes and he says and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not some might be. You may possibly be one that we're going to save. But he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord for your salvation? Because God's waiting to hear from you. But friends, just hearing or being confronted with the truth, it doesn't save us. There are millions of people in the world that are confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ. There are churches full of people that have been confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ for decades. There are people that have been confronted with the truth about themselves year in, year out, month in, month out, day in, day out. They've been confronted with the truth and they may feel some sort of solace there but it won't save them. It will not save you. Don't be one of those people. So, what about the crowd now? They've heard the truth. They've heard the truth about Jesus. And importantly, they've heard the truth about themselves. They've discovered their sinners. They've discovered that they crucified Jesus. They were the ones that gave the verdict. So, what now? What next? What are they going to do? What must happen next? Well, we find that as Peter continues with his sermon something happens to his congregation eventually they're convicted by the truth peter's message went to their conscience like a like an arrow I, i'd never be able to shoot an arrow straight <laughs> but like an arrow to its mark bang the truth hits them and they're convicted it hit its mark. The truth hit home. And the people understood what they heard and their conscience was awakened. And they knew that they were guilty because that's the first step. How many people have no idea that they're guilty? Ah, this is the truth and I believe it. It's my version of the truth, but I'll go with it. And that's what we're told. Even the government tells us these things. Verse 37, when the people heard this, They were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. The Spirit of God drove the Word of God home into their hearts in a supernatural way and it caused them to face up to their responsibilities before God. But friends, does conviction of sin alone save you? No, it doesn't. Again, there are churches full of people that have met the truth about themselves. In fact, they know everything about sin because they've sat there week in, week out, and they've had it driven into them. You're a sinner. You've no hope. And some of them have been convicted by the truth, but still they've got a problem because they're not saved, because the conviction alone doesn't save us. Woe is me, a sinner. But a sinner I remain because I can't save myself. Conviction of sin is like an alarm clock which rings and rings and rings. Now, if there's any teenagers here, and you've heard me say this before, but I have a teenager at home, and it's incredible. He can sleep while the alarm clock is ringing. And it rings and it rings and it rings and it keeps ringing. And he's got this ability to just switch off mentally, even though he's asleep. His brain is able to do this and he doesn't hear it. And come 11 o'clock in the morning and he hasn't appeared, there's trouble. Because his mother goes down to investigate what's happening. But that's what it's like for us. Spiritually speaking. The alarm clock rings and rings and rings and rings in our conscience and it keeps on ringing until we get up out of our slumber and respond to its calling. We may try and send our conscience back to sleep, but we shall not know God's forgiveness and peace until we obey the message that God through His Holy Spirit impresses on our hearts and so we hear the truth but hearing alone doesn't save us we're convicted by the truth but conviction alone does not save us we need more much much more and so we come to verse 37 and we read this brothers this is the crowd shouting to peter brothers what should we do because now they're concerned about the truth They hear the the urgency within their voice. Peter, help us. What do we do? We've understood the truth about ourselves. We understand the truth about Jesus. We're convicted. But what do we do? Peter, help us. Peter, we need to know how to handle this guilt because their minds are enlightened their consciences have been awakened and now their hearts are challenged and Peter graciously and gently points them to Jesus now Acts was uh, written by Luke Luke was a medical doctor and I think it's interesting that in uh, Luke chapter 5 verse 31 and 32 Luke explains it for us He was a doctor, as I say, and he uses words that uh, were probably very familiar to him. And he says, "This is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. You know, don't come and waste my time if there's nothing wrong with you. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Peter. What must we do? But friends, even being concerned about the truth will not save you. So you're thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Sim, what's going to happen? Will we ever be saved? And again, there are many people who are concerned about the truth. But they remain only concerned about it. And they're not saved. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And they're still not saved. And in answer to the question from the crowd. What must we do? Peter leads them to the Savior. And as we listen. We too are led to the Savior. Peter looks at the crowd with love in his heart and concern in his voice and he says, this is what you need to do. You need to repent of your sin. You need to change your mind. You need to change your direction. Now this is an example which those of you who know me will understand that uh, it's a good one. So just supposing uh, I feel led, strangely, to go to parachute jumping classes okay and uh, it all begins on the ground and you sit in a little classroom and the guy tells you what's going to happen and he talks about how a parachute works Uh, he shows you that uh, if you pull this cord bing the parachute jumps out and you'll land safely and then he tells you how to land properly now as i said for those of you who know me i have trouble going up a stepladder let alone flying at seven or eight thousand feet in a little aircraft and then the door opens okay and um, who in their right mind would ever do such a thing okay and and you know that that wouldn't be me because i'm scared and finally the day comes when i go up in the aircraft and this part is pure fiction it would never happen okay and the chap says okay all right, folks, all ready. And there's this line of guys waiting, girls as well, wanting to jump out. And then it comes to me. Okay. And I'm there. And I'm hanging on to each side of the doorway. Okay. And I'm looking out. No, I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't even get that close. And, and, and then this, this little girl behind me says, are you going to jump or what? Okay. And I say, no, I'm not. In fact, the fear is building. There's no way that I can do this. I know there's some of you who have who have done this, and you're thinking, you know, how is it possible that you could be in such a state? But it's awful. I have this terrible fear of heights, and I always have done. It's just, it's just there, and 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 my legs grow weak. My stomach is telling me that everything is wrong about this. And I turn round to the instructor and I say, no, I'm not doing this. Instructor says, go ahead, you can do it. Everybody's shouting, you can do it. And I say, no, I can't. Because I've changed my mind. I'm not going to jump. And I don't jump. And that's repentance. Because I've changed my mind in a decisive way. That story illustrates how, de- how repentance works. Repentance is a change in the way I think that leads to a change in the way I live. When you really change your mind about something... It's going to change the way that you think about it, the way that you talk about it, the way that you feel about it, the way that you act about it. And I'm suggesting to you very, very clearly, very strongly, that true repentance is not just some mental game that you play in your mind. True repentance is a decisive change in direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of thinking that leads to a change of attitude that leads to a change of feeling that leads to a change of values that leads to a change in the way you live your life. And Peter goes on to explain that they need to show their repentance by being baptized into the name of Jesus. He says, yes, repent of your sin but show that you belong to Jesus by being baptized and he reminds them that they should come to faith in the Savior and then they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course those who were listening knew exactly what he meant because John the Baptist had preached the necessity of repentance and then being baptized and he baptized those who truly turned in repentance to God. And staggeringly simple it is. But people struggle to change their minds about Jesus. Why? Because they don't naturally want to do so. You see, repentance is a basic and essential part of the message of the entire New Testament. John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 3, 1-2. Jesus began his ministry with the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 17. And Peter declared in another sermon here in Acts, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Acts 3, verse 19. Look friends, we all know that we've wandered away from God and we've taken the pathway in life that suited us the most. We went the way that we felt comfortable with. We did what we wanted to do. We went our way. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, the broad road that leads to destruction. We need to leave that and we need to take the narrow road that leads to life. This is repentance. Repentance. This is what Peter was talking about to this crowd. Stop and think for a moment. How are you living your life? Have you truly repented? Has your repentance changed everything? Have you done an about turn? Left the way that you wanted to live? And started to follow the way that God wants you to live? That Jesus wants you to live? Some people have got this weird, and it is weird, it's strange. They've got this idea that repentance is simply saying, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's not. We say sorry all the time, don't we? When we get up in the morning, the first thing we often have to do is to say sorry for the argument that we had the night before. And our children have to say sorry for the fact they didn't clear up the basement. And things have started to grow in the carpet from where the food has been deposited. <laughs> you see, repentance is, is, is so much more than just saying sorry. God, I'll not do it again, we say. I'm sorry. I'll never watch the filth that I've been watching again. I'm sorry. And the very next day we're typing the password into that website and we're watching it all over again and the day before we were sorry and we really did mean that we didn't want to do it again but we hadn't repented I won't touch another drop I'm sorry for the fact that I love Jack Daniels more than I love you, Jesus. But we never repented for it. I'll sort out the relationship with my wife. I'm sorry what I did. And then we find ourselves continuing and the affair goes on. Repentance is so much more than just saying sorry. Repentance means showing that we are sorry by the changed life that we live. You see, you can't follow Jesus Christ without forsaking sin. And some of us have convinced ourselves we can. Repentance means to leave the sin I loved before and to show that I am in earnest by doing so no more. So we've repented. And now we need to call to the Lord because even now there is more that must happen and you're thinking to yourselves, how much more, Pastor Sim, do I have to do to see my salvation real and true? Verse 21 says... And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Many needed people here called on Jesus for help during his earthly life. And he heard and he answered all their cries. Nobody went away disappointed. And the promise of Jesus still holds good today. If we call on him, he will save us. Which means delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. And now we come to the most wonderful promise in Scripture. We see it here in verse 41. And some of you will think that I've got an ulterior motive in saying this, and I haven't. Listen carefully. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Now, why are these, so wo- these words so wonderful? It's, it's not because this is a Baptist church and I'm a Baptist. It's not because they tick all the right boxes as far as we're concerned. Yes, they do tick all the right boxes. But the reason that these words are so wonderful is that they show that the crowd accepted the message that Peter had brought to them. Because they heard it, they responded to it, they accepted it, and they showed that acceptance by simply saying that we will be baptized. We will show. and they were gladly those who had received gladly the word were baptized the people were willing not only to receive god's word from peter but also to receive jesus christ as their lord and their master as is obvious by what followed in the remainder of the chapter and if you've time read it beautiful believing and receiving are key words in becoming a believer a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. We believe the truth about Jesus and then we allow Him to take control of our lives. John 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And of course, Peter also promised that those who repented would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit god gives us the holy spirit so that we have the inward assurance that we are his children and he is our father romans 8 verse 16 the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are god's children does the holy spirit testify with your spirit that you are indeed a child of god Friends, we're confronted with the truth, the truth about ourselves, the truth about Jesus. We're convicted by the truth and we become concerned by the truth. But none of this saves us. And friends, this is as far as many, many people get. And they won't go a step further. They stop. They take some sort of comfort in this. But they're still not saved. It is only when we are converted to jesus christ when we repent of our sin and when we call to him and accept the message that jesus died on the cross for us that we are saved and when that happens god gives us his holy spirit so what's so complicated nothing you know it's only us that make it complicated It's only us that make coming to faith in Jesus Christ complicated and difficult. It's only us that put stumbling blocks in the way and says, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I want more. Can you honestly say that you have repented before God, trusted Jesus Christ by faith and received the Holy Spirit into your life? And if the answer is yes, well, then you're saved. You belong to Jesus and he belongs to you. And dare I say it, you'll now be wanting to obey Jesus and his command to be baptized and to break bread because these things are all contained here in the verses that we have. Do you see the, tra- the, the, the process, the transition that goes on? Because when we are saved, we know we're saved. And we want to obey our precious Lord who died for us. And when we take bread and when we break bread, it's a joy because it reminds us of everything that Jesus has done for us. And if we know him and if we love him, we're commanded to do this. And we're commanded to be baptized, to show that we have joined with him in his death and in his burial and his resurrection. These are not my words, but the words of God. Jesus is speaking, but are you listening? Jesus is speaking, but are you listening? So you're stood in the crowd. Pilate puts his hand up and he goes quiet. What do I do with Jesus? And you've got to give your verdict. Are you going to shout, crucify Or are you going to shout out, Lord, save me, save me? The verdict is yours. It's yours. Lord, save me, a sinner. Father, we come and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it presents so clearly. We thank you for the truth that it tells us about Jesus, your dear son. And we also, even though perhaps naturally speaking, we don't want to talk about this, but we thank you for the truth that it tells us about ourselves, that all have sinned. Every single one of us, there is not one who is righteous. And we thank you too for the conviction of our sin. We thank you too for the fact that we recognize our sin. But we also thank you that we are able to come to you in repentance. But repentance has to be real. It's not simply saying sorry. And there are many of us that are content to keep saying sorry. But we need to repent. We need to change our mind. We need to change the direction that we're walking. We need to see that our life is changed. And then everybody around us will know that we belong to you because of the changed life that we live. And we call upon you for our salvation. And you've turned no one away, not even that thief on the cross who was there because he was a murderer. He deserved what he was getting. And he did all he could with the little strength that he had left to turn his face to the Savior and to say, Lord, because he knew who you were, Lord, save me. And so, Father, I pray that if there is anybody here this evening who has been unsure of what the gospel really means, that tonight they would truly repent and call to you for their salvation and that they would change their life as your Holy Spirit moves in, lives within them and transforms them. So graciously be with us, we ask now, in the precious name of our Savior. Amen.